0: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning into the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Anesthesia and Pain Management Success. I'm really pleased to be bringing you part two in a three-part series about estate planning. And I have with us today Nathan Cavley, who's an attorney, a legal educator, and an entrepreneur who has started this uh, virtual estate planning practice with his partner Note Song, whom we heard from last week. Nathan, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: It really is my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to dive into today's content where we're gonna talk about probate and trust utilization and how those ideas interact. This is very important for physicians to be able to understand because it's uh, the kind of thing where there's a lot at stake in terms of cost, in terms of uh, the ways that you can shield yourself from cost in your estate so that more of your assets go to your loved ones and less goes to Uncle Sam or lawyers who are adjudicating the probate process. but to start us off, you are from the Midwest. Grew up in North Dakota, and you're now in Minneapolis. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Um, yeah. So I grew up in Jamestown, North Dakota. I don't know how much notesong talked to, but you know, notesong and I were friends from high school, and so it's very flat. It's the home of the world's largest concrete buffalo statue. Um, because that's one of those things that we do here in the Midwest. If there's not really anything to. <laughs> You know sort of it sort of it tracked like the the creation of the interstate highway system and so these little towns in the midwest were like let's build a huge statue of a buffalo or up near where my great grandmother lived it's called the turtle mountains of north dakota which are really just sort of tall hills um they built it's a it's a fiberglass statue of tommy the turtle it's a turtle drive riding a snowmobile and it's about 30 feet tall and there's like a there's a cow near Bismarck, there's Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox in Bemidji, Minnesota. They're they're all over the place. It's um I love them. I, th- I find them incredibly fascinating because it's such a snapshot of like a his- you know, a time period of our nation's history and That's sort of right. the aesthetics. Yeah. Um, My
0: brother and I are actually getting ready to drive a moving truck across America oh, as we yeah. head to the West Coast. So we're going to have to make sure and uh, <laughs> I'll get a list of the, some of these roadside attractions for you, you should. I mean, some selfies.
1: <laughs> there, there's some, they're, they're all over the place, but especially like there's Jamestown and the world's largest concrete Buffalo statue. That's why I always tell people. It, it has one testicle. <laughs> Children find that endlessly amusing.
0: I can understand. <laughs> and,
1: and lawyers, I guess too. I guess so. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about
0: how you uh, got into the legal profession, and ultimately how you launched what I think is a really, like, a, a really revolutionary idea, which is the fact that something as, uh, you know, stodgy and proper as the legal profession yeah. can be decentralized and sort of, I think, I would say, like, democratized, be- being made more affordable, more flexible, yeah. and meeting people where they are.
1: Well, we really, yeah, I mean, we really have been looking to sort of disrupt the industry. I think, um, I think a lot of people have experiences with lawyers the same way that people have experiences with car mechanics or to be honest, doctors too, where you go in and you just are sort of made to feel stupid. Um, it's sort of like, it's, this is going to be expensive and I'm going to make you feel dumb. And everybody's like, please sign me up. Um, and especially when you're talking about estate planning, it's like, so you get to spend a lot of money, you get to deal with lawyers, and you also get to talk about death. So it's like the, <laughs> the triple trajectory. whammy of like, <laughs> yeah, what nobody ever wants to do. And so, um, yeah, you know, I I started out doing real estate law as an attorney um, back in 2004 and sort of bounced around and did lending for a while. And then, and then I kind of went on my own and sort of was like, what should I do? And for, um, my best friends had me they they had their will done. Um, and they they brought it to me and they were like, Can you review this and make sure it's good? Which is such a weird proposition, but I've done this for other people too, where you're like, So you paid a lawyer to look at this and now you're gonna pay. Well, actually, I just did it as a favor, but it's like you you paid a lawyer, like a licensed attorney to draft this custom will for you. And and you know, there's they each have master's degrees. It's like, and yet you still need another lawyer to look at it. And I don't think that's uncommon at all. Um, and so it's sort of just done, I was actually laying on the bed. I remember those very vivid memory. I was like, this is ridiculous that like, it should be easy to understand. Like that's just a baseline. And, and if, you know, every every profession has its lexicon, you know, sort of like shorthand of like either Latin terms or abbreviations that we sort of use when we're talking to our colleagues to just cut to the chase. But, and every profession has this. Everyone. Um, and I think the key is to sort of take the time to actually translate those um into sort of like respectful language because that's the problem that I think lawyers and doctors and car mechanics, you know, it's like you're like, I-, I don't understand this Latin word that you said, and then the doctor's like, There's a thing in your tummy, and you're like, I <laughs> you know, yeah, perhaps I there's a Latin. middle ground here. There might be a middle ground where you could sort of talk up to me like a normal person and lawyers are guilty of that too, where yeah. so so Financial really advisors big. are perennial offenders in this department as well. I must <laughs> well, say. Okay, but it, so basically, that was the idea. It's like let's make this understandable, um, and let's use technology the way that LegalZoom does. But where LegalZoom, you basically are just signing up to use a computer. It's just you put in your stuff, and it just spits out a PDF. And and you don't know. It's like the question is like, does it cover you accurately, or is there a problem with your documents? And the answer is, a lawyer can tell you, <laughs> like. But there's not a lawyer involved, it's just a PDF machine. And so, so we use technology to sort of reduce costs and make it really convenient. And but ultimately it comes down to you know, not sung and I spending the time to really sort of translate these concepts into you know understandable, respectful, plain language. And and it's I love it, it's it's really fun. I mean, my mom, so my mom in North Dakota, she's a she was a piano teacher, she is now retired, she'll tell you that. Um and she read her will that we wrote for her and she came back with some questions. And, and it was sort of, these were the questions at the very end of the document where it's like, this section is for lawyers. And she was asking the questions. And I was sort of like, mom, this is for lawyers, but I'll still tell, you know, explain it to you. And so it's, it I love it. It's fun. Yeah.
0: And it's such important work. I, I, I gotta say um, one of the first, Deeply formative experiences I had as a financial advisor, as a young 22 year old kind of earning his spurs out there, was I was, I just, I will never forget, I was on a call, uh, a conference call with the senior partner of my firm and one of our clients and one of their estate attorneys. And they were going through these questions. And this um, entrepreneur had, uh, was divorced, so had some stepkids and had one child uh, who was his. And he, his child was not had had a medical condition was not expected to outlive him and so there was this moment of so the attorney's like so who's the you know who do you want to get your stuff if your kid dies before you basically and there was this just long pause and it was this very sober and it, there was this moment of vulnerability and there was like you know david you know referring to my my boss like which what what do people usually do like what should i do it it never really occurred to me until this moment that i might have to dispose of my assets in some way that if, if my kid dies, then they're not gonna, so that sort of made a dent in my psyche in some kind of way that like this, this work is deeply personal. It's deeply impactful. And it's, it's difficult for these reasons because it's dealing with death and dealing with these terrible potentialities of your kids not living longer than you.
1: Oh yeah. It's that it's like, it's all of it. Like which way, you know, if you're in a coma, what about feeding tubes? What about assisted breathing? It's just like, imagine all these awful scenarios um, and then add lawyers into the mix. So, so let's go there for a minute and say, wh- I want to talk about probate.
0: And so probate is a legal process. Before I try to explain too much of what it is, I want you to explain to our audience, what is probate and how does it function? Maybe just take us through the step-by-step. What happens when you die with all of your stuff?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I th- essentially sort of, I don't know about it. I mean, everybody dies, right? It's sort of given, and so our system is set up to account for that. Probate is what our system does about people dying and their stuff, right? Um, because our system is kind of unique, and not every country in the world sort of lets you decide after, you know, it, they call it the dead hand, right? Um, we don't have to sort of, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have to look to a will or a trust to decide who gets what stuff. It could go to your eldest son or it could go to your eldest daughter. It could go automatically to the state or, you know, our system is set up to sort of allow you. And this is why I think these documents are kind of amazing, frankly. I mean, I, I really just, dis- I describe them as superhero documents. Like you get to actually like come back from the dead and like take care of your loved ones and make sure that your kid, you know, sort of does premarital counseling, counseling before they get married or, you know, the trust is only used for like a reasonable car, no sports cars. Like you get to do a lot of meddling if you want. It's not always a good thing, just to be clear. But, but that's our system. It's really kind of amazing. And so as a result, the system has to have a procedure to figure out what to do. And that's probate. It's a judicial procedure. And so since it's an actual formal judicial procedure, that's why it's expensive. Because it's, it's sort of like a lawsuit with no other parties necessarily so basically you have to sort of find who the interested parties are you serve notice there are lawyers there you know filings there's a judge um it's it's long and complicated and it's also public that's another thing too you know we used to find out like I don't know if you ever looked up like Marilyn Monroe's will or who you know who received all of Elvis's assets probate is a public judicial proceeding and so when the will goes through probate it is it becomes a public document. And so we used to be able to sort of get all these juicy details about people when they died, but now you don't really hear much when celebrities die because they use living trusts and living trusts are sort of a mechanism that sort of arose and came into prominence sort of in the 1960s and 70s that allows you, if you're careful and diligent, to sort of avoid the probate process completely. I mean, probate really just, it's a really, it serves a really important function because again, the, the weird quandary with the will and the living trust is Seth is the person who made these documents is gone. They can't show up and testify. They can't, they can't say this is what I wanted. That's why it's all written down. But yet we're like, how do we know that it was your writing? And these are your wishes and not your evil son and his, you know, word processor. And that's what probate does. It sort of formalizes that procedure, but it does come with costs. It it's not public or it is public, sorry. So it's invasive. It also is a hassle because somebody then has to coordinate with these lawyers about who's going to do what. So, I mean, you know, that's the thing you've got, you know, your dad dies and then your mom is there and she's maybe in her eighties and all of a sudden now she has to deal with probate lawyers and all these filings. And, um, and it's expensive. It it really, it truly can eat up, but, you know, they say between two and 5% of a person's estate kind of crazy, but it has to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Prince's estate. So I always go back to Prince, obviously I'm from Minneapolis. So I'm from North Dakota, but I'm, I'm a Minneapolis person now, but um, so Prince died five years ago and his state estate still isn't resolved. And obviously he had a pretty complicated family situation, but I mean, even there, he didn't even have a basic will. And so his probate has already cost the estate. I think last time, I mean, they're fighting about all of it that the lawyers had charged $6 million already, like $6 million. And I mean, obviously that's the thing, like the more money you have, the more stuff, the more assets, the more people are fighting. So it's, it's, it's not, everybody's going to pay $6 million, but it, it usually is three to 5%. Um, the good news is that there's this thing called the living trust. It's, it's technical. I mean, there are a couple of phrases. It's an inter vivos, which is the same thing as living in Latin. I, it, I don't speak much Latin, just to be clear. <laughs> All the, do- all the doctors are like, I thought you didn't speak Lyme. Um, I don't. Intervivos uh, trust, it's also a, a revocable trust. So you can unwind it whenever you want. So that's sort of the key features of this trust. But but yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, trusts have been around since the Crusades. They come from England. It sort of was when the knights would sort of, you know, they were like, we're going off to fight the Holy War in the Holy Land. And who's going to take care of all of my lands? And they would, they gave them to the monks in trust. Cause they didn't want to, you know, give them away. So then the monks were like, we'll take care of it. And, and that's how the trust developed. But um, so the living trust. Oh yeah. Sorry. This is that thing. I don't know if it's because I love educating people or I've just ramble, but I, I find this stuff so fascinating and I, it, for me, it's helpful to sort of think about what it comes from and like, where these things, how they arose. So I will say. Well, let me interject one of yeah, very... the. Yeah, another. Because that's. I'll just keep going. Just, just. You're doing great. Me, please.
0: Just one other anecdote from my early financial advisor days when I was working in ultra-high net worth, like very, very rich people with very complicated situations. I distinctly remember reading. Uh, there was a, defining the term that a trust could exist, and it said this trust basically will exist into perpetuity until 21 years after the death of the youngest lineal descendant of the Queen of England or, or some kind of language. Like there are law firms out there that put stuff like that in people's estate planning documents well, as, if that has, reco-
1: as if someone can interpret what that means. Well, that, so just to be clear, and there's a phrase kind of like that in our document. It's It's called the rule against perpetuities. And so I taught property law last spring and I think we spent two days just on this thing where it really is all about like, so again, the thing is so there's, you know, how do I want to put it? Rich people and their lawyers have been screwing the government over for centuries, right? That's how that works, right? The the lawyers think of something, the government shuts it down. The lawyers think of something, the government It's like shuts whack-a-mole, it down. basically. It is, it really is. And it's it's it that's how it works to this day. One of the techniques was to sort of put your stuff into trust so that you never had to pay any estate taxes because you're you're um your descendants never actually took ownership of the stuff. It was always sort of held in the trust. And so it's eventually, and it does get complicated too, because then it's like, how many generations down do you want this dead old guy to be controlling you? And that's what really happens, right? Cause it's like, you know, you have to marry within the church or you have to go to the school or you have to go, you know, letter in these sports. And, you know, it's just, it, there are people out there that really enjoy trying to control like their descendants generation after generation. And so the rule against perpetuity is sort of essentially is this way that sort of says there has to be an end point to a trust. Um, and it's, it's really complicated and law students hate it. So I won't burden you guys with it because it's, it's really crazy. It's like just, but, and the weird thing now is that a lot of States have <laughs> actually rescinded the rule against perpetuity. So I think it's South Dakota. I think in Wisconsin, you can now create a perpetual trust, um, which in my way, it's, it's sort of that thing. Like I haven't had like the old dude come in and be like, I want to control my great, 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 great grandchildren. Um, because we just haven't had that happen. And, and if he did, I would just be like, here's the deal. Like, yeah, you, you'll get to control what car they drive, but like how many generations do you want people to hate you? Cause that's really what's going to happen. If you create, yeah. I mean, cause that's the thing. Nobody, you know, your great, great grandchildren will never know you, but they'll be like this old guy is controlling me in the money. Um. Anyways. The, yeah. There, here's the thing. There's it's, it's really, and it's part of why I love it. There's so many little nuanced things. That's probably the weirdest thing in our documents that you'll see is the sort of rule against perpetuities language. And it's based on 21 years after a life in being when you die and and so you set it to some person, so it often will be the Queen of England or the US, like I have seen George Bush when he was president. Um, I think we just say like our 21 years after the death of my relative or something, I forget what we say, but my mom asked about that. And I was like, <laughs> it sort of like, Marjorie, do you want the long answer or the short answer? And there you go. So tell us about
0: <laughs> the utilization of a revocable trust, also known as a living trust in the context of probate and yeah. why this is an important instrument?
1: Yeah, so it's um, so probate. So when we think about probate, I think the, the next thing we should talk about is non-probate assets. Which if you've heard of, if you've heard people talk about probate, you've probably heard about non-probate assets. And we're talking the things everybody knows are life insurance and retirement accounts. Those are always non-probate. And the reason for that is when you sign up to get a life insurance policy, you designate who the beneficiary is. So the life insurance policy already has essentially its own like distribution on death mechanism built in and our system of jurisprudence has decided that rather than letting the will control the life insurance the life insurance just travels of its own accord and in fact actually the will then does not cuz there's some case law where you know like people didn't realize that and they put something in there they don't update their life insurance policy to like their new wife and children and instead it's like their ex-wife that they hate. This is, there's a famous case on this. It sucked for these poor kids. Um, anyways, the, the, the ex-wife got everything because the guy wrote in his will, like everything, including my life insurance goes to my new wife and my kids, but the will does not trump the life insurance. It's a non-probate asset. It goes outside of probate and the same for retirement accounts. Um, they also have um, beneficiary designations. So so there's this, this, and one of the other things, um, that one of the other sort of ways to create non-probate assets is with a living trust. Um, so assets in trust are non-probate. That's the, that's the little like $5 phrase. A living trust is basically a trust that you create for yourself. It's sort of weird because usually you create a trust. It's, it, it'll be like, Um, And a lot of our clients do this. They'll set up language in their documents. So it's like, if I die young, um, I will create a trust for my young children so that they won't inherit all this money when they turn 18. Instead, it'll dole out to them in in segments over time. Hopefully they'll get smarter with money and they won't blow it all in hookers and cocaine. Um, So it's like, so in that instance, you, the parent are creating the trust. Your children are the beneficiary. And you're gonna name trustees. These are the people that will essentially stand in your place to dole out the money and sort of decide, you know, if your kid's like, I wanna go backpacking through Asia and, and maybe that makes sense and there's a lot of money and they're like, yeah, go for it. And we have language that we can put in there for stuff like that. Or they're like, I wanna buy a Maserati. And then they're like, no, don't do that. Um, the living trust is weird because you serve all three functions. You are the person who creates the trust. You are also the beneficiary of the trust. And you're the trustee of the trust. So you serve all three roles, which is kind of a little bit of legal trickery. But the good news is, is that courts throughout the United States, like these are not experimental um, sort of legal mechanisms. Uh, living trusts are established law throughout the entire country. There's no concern with using them because it is a little bit weird. But um, so that's the deal. You You serve all these roles. And so you set up a trust for yourself And then you create essentially mechanisms of what happened after you die. So everything that you would ordinarily put into your will about like, everything goes to my spouse, and then it goes to my kids, and then it goes to some charities, that all then goes into your trust. And we still create a will for you. The will then basically just says, if I forget to move anything into my trust, do it now. So it sort of acts as like a cleanup mechanism. Does it still go
0: through probate?
1: It would right? the the will will yeah. So the goal here, and this is that thing with the trust, it's a it's an amazing mechanism and it can save you a lot of money and stuff. But it's not like you get to just sign the line. Um, we describe it in our for our clients now that there's essentially creating your like a comprehensive estate plan really now has two phases. The first phase is when we talk about your kids and we talk about who should get your stuff, and then the second phase is when we move your assets into the trust because it doesn't just happen when you sign it. You actually have to, again, in that thing, like with non-probate, we have to make sure that we arrange each of your assets individually. And it's not, it's not the end of the world, but it, it doesn't, it just isn't like a stroke of the pen.
0: Right. So when you create this trust, anything that gets titled in the name of the trust is still functionally your property. You use it for whatever you want to, but it then becomes a non-probate asset.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the goal here, it's sort of really unintuitive, but essentially the goal is that for legal purposes, legal title to your asset. So like, you know, you own your home, you and your wife own your home. And so if you look on the deed, it says your names, like you're the owners, what you're going to do is change it to you guys as trustees of your trust. And so legal title, you no longer actually hold legal title. Legal title is held by you as trustee of the trust. It, it really ends up being sort of like we describe it as like a magic box. It's like just made out of words, really, because that's kind of how all these I mean, like lots of stuff is like that. Right. But especially this because the house doesn't move. You still have the keys. You get to go in and sleep in it and watch TV and host dinner parties. And if you decide you want to sell it, you can sell it. Um, but if you decide to sell it, you'll essentially be doing that as trustee of the trust rather than as you individually. Yeah.
0: So the. Exclusive purpose or primary purpose of this yeah. type of trust is to s-
1: circumvent probate, essentially. Yeah, it's it's that's really its main purpose. Yeah, it's really um, it is. It's, it's really its only purpose. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. And the goal really is to sort of move all of your assets over because that way, then if you move everything over for probate purposes, you own nothing. That's really our goal here. And if you forget to move any of your assets into the trust, or if you sign your documents and die the next day, that's why the will sort of acts as a backstop. But then your stuff does go through probate still. Um, It just then dumps into the trust afterwards.
0: Got it. So if you think about the balance sheet of a physician who has a bunch of assets, maybe a few debts. Um, you've got maybe a house, maybe you've got chairs in a, a medical practice or some kind of business. You've got cash, you've got investments as you kind of walk down each of those. If you get a house, the house gets titled in the name of the living trust. If you've got cash that could also either get titled in the name of the trust, or maybe you would do like a transfer on death potentially.
1: Yeah. Um, you, I mean, this is that thing that this is the fun part of phase two is that we really sort of, you know, we sort of categorize all of your assets. And just walk through them. Financial accounts are a little bit tricky and because some accounts do have a beneficiary mechanism, so they will pay out um, upon your death and and some accounts don't. And so it really depends. And sometimes you can sort of switch your accounts over, which, you know, again, this is, it gets kind of tedious to be really honest, Um, but it's important work. And the nice thing, and this is the key too, it's that I sort of feel like needs to sort of be stressed. It's not just about the money, like by doing it now, you know, it's two scenarios, right? Your parents have a lot of money and they have a lot of assets and all this stuff, and they they do a will, which is good because as we find out with Prince, doing a will is better than not doing a will. It saves a lot of time and hassle in probate. So, doing a will is definitely a good first step. Um, but that's where then it goes through probate, and your mom has to then deal with all this stuff. If you set everything up and go through the effort to sort of arrange your assets into trust. And some people are like, oh, I should wait until I'm in the 70s. But it's like, no, if you do it sooner rather than later, then then as you acquire new assets, when you acquire a lake home in another state, or if, you you know, you can then immediately just move them right into your trust. And that way, then when, you know, when dad dies, mom doesn't have to go through probate. It just essentially, she just sort of all of the stuff that the trust does when one spouse dies just happens pretty much automatically. Um, So it's, it it's sort of is and it's one of those things where it's like do you want it it's like do you want your medicine now or do you want it later like there, there's no way to get around it there's going to be some hassle but frankly it it works really well to do it now and especially if you're already thinking of estate planning because that's the thing that we really see with so many people i think that it's people think of it as like senior photos and like um wedding it's like you it's like you you're like in the the game of life do you remember the game of life it's like you do it yeah, you do it once, right? You only have to do your senior photos once, and you only get married once, and you only do your estate planning once. But and but so everybody's like, well, I want to do it right. And there's so much information out there, which is really great. But I think people then get really worried about, you know, they, they get all of these conflicting ideas. And and so then years go by when essentially your your family is sort of at risk, depending on what could happen. So so do it. That's the idea. Yeah. It's just get it done. Um, do it soon. And,
0: and in order to, so, you know, based on the, the balance sheet analogy I was using before, one of the things you might consider is to just get as many assets as possible up to and including, well, everything um, to, to transfer on death in some way by a beneficiary mecha- mechanism, by a, being owned in a trust or one of those other sort of features so that
1: as little as possible goes through probate. Is that kind of the, the idea yeah, exactly. I mean, then the thing is, is a lot of, there are these non assets, which if you want to, you can sort of utilize most of those. Some states allow you to transfer deeds on death, but not all states do that. So, I mean, there are a lot of different mechanisms that you can use at play. The nice thing about using a living trust is that it can become essentially the clearinghouse, And so you point your life insurance into your trust. And that way, then if you do get divorced and you get a new wife or you have some new kids, you don't have to remember all the different assets and go back and adjust all of those beneficiaries all you do is you just um you just amend and update your trust right
0: and i think that's a good sort of point to close on is one of the best arguments i can think of to do the estate plan it's not obviously taking your medicine the analogy like it's 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 helpful because it's a it's a good thing that sometimes is unpleasant but that in itself you know saying like do the thing because you should do it isn't always super motivating the the way I think about it is uh, it's an expression of love to the people that are going to have to deal with your mess whenever you die. And it may come on an expected timeline. It may come on an unexpected timeline. And death in the family is very difficult and traumatic in the best of times. And if you put a big, messy financial situation or something that's not clear or not documented, or you die without a will, and all of a sudden, you know, You forget to change the beneficiary and like the ex-wife gets everything like those are that's a really terrible situation and so if for no other reason for anybody who's listening is thinking like i don't want to take my medicine you can't tell me otherwise like well i can't it's true but the the thing i would i guess try to reason with you is if you care about the people that are going to deal with your mess when you're gone this is one way to express that care that affection to try to make things a little bit easier at a time when there's going to be a lot of difficulty
1: it's absolutely. I think this whole process really is a kindness because the thing is with our, with our system of jurisprudence, there's always a backup, right? There's a default plan if you don't have a will. There's a default plan for your kids, right? But that's the part and it happens when this couple in Wisconsin, a really young couple, they were driving to a Badgers football game or basketball game um, and they were hit by a car and they, they had, I think, four month old twin boys. And he died pretty much instantly. And I think she lasted a couple of weeks later and then died. And they did not have a will. It was on their, it was on their refrigerator, like do a will. Because that's the thing of when people get kids, it it usually is the biggest motivator. Get because and the reason why, yeah, because orphans, right? It's but I'll say it out loud, right? It's like you don't want your kid to be just because that's the thing. It's like your kids will not be put out on the street at four months old, right? Obviously, probably grandparents are going to, but what happens then is that grandparents fight. It's like, do you want your kids? And, you know, these are four month old kids, so they won't remember the custody battle that is going on probably still. But, you know, if you had kids that are, you know, eight or nine years old and, you know, both parents die and all of a sudden grandparents and aunts and uncles are all coming out trying to sort of, you know, and then you're having to, your kids are going to have to meet with psychologists because the court's going to want to know who, like, do it for that. Like, I'll here's the, it's like, I agree. It's like, I'll, I'll hit you on all levels. Right. It really truly is a kindness because you really do. It's like an act of like a love for your, your loved ones. You're taking care of them. You're simplifying things. You're putting your own house in order, but I'll get you every which way because it, it, it does suck. I mean, imagine like the next time you're driving your kids around the backseat, imagine them having to deal with like court psychologists because you didn't ever get around your will. It's, if that's what, if that's what helps, I'll go there. Right. It it's, it's a rare event. Thankfully it doesn't happen often, but it happens to people like real people that intended. And so that really is the motivation for what we do. It's why we've spent so much time and effort to really try to make the process suck less. Like it's, it's about death. Right. And we're not going to sort of pretend it isn't, but, but we're here to help you take care of your kids. It really is. It's, I mean, it's, it's much cooler than what I used to do lending law. (laughs) Yes, I'll say that. So
0: for anybody who is like, okay, Justin, Nathan, you've convinced me. um, Go to apmsuccess.com slash 104. I'm going to put Nathan and Notesong's contact info there. We'll put a link to their company, thoughtfulwills.com. If you're interested in commencing this process with them, would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, Now is the time. So Nathan, any other parting wisdom?
1: no i mean it's just it's don't let the be the, my phrase that i keep coming back to especially with doctors um two things i want to just say first when it comes to doctors you just need to get a living trust if you were social workers you know and we have clients that are social workers then we have to talk about their assets and sort of their income generation potential to see whether or not the living trust really makes sense but for doctors for physicians of all stripes it just makes sense. So that's it. this is an easy question. If you want, you can ask me, and I'll walk through it with you. Um, but the other part is don't let the enemy, don't let the perfect. I, I got this phrase so wrong all the time. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, and that's what we see over and over again with Prince, with Aretha Franklin. I mean, people die all the time because they thought they would get it all right, or they think this is the other thing. Too, we hear from clients. It's like. They have to do their homework first. And then once they understand all of it, then they'll call us to take care of it. And it's like, you don't need to. That's our job. My job is to help walk you through the process. You don't need to know anything. Just know that you're ready and and we'll take care of you. That's all. Great.
0: Well, Nathan Cavley, <laughs> ThoughtfulWills.com. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today on APM Success.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.